And welcome back to the Word Encounter, episode 65. We concluded in chapter 9 of 1 Kings yesterday, so let's pick it up in chapter 10. We see at the end of chapter 9 that uh, Solomon had concluded his dedication of the temple to the Lord, and the Lord was pleased. And so now it's time to get on with the business of ruling and reigning in Israel. And in chapter 10, uh, the Queen of Sheba had heard about Solomon's wisdom and his majesty and all that the Lord had done for him, word had traveled, and uh, his reputation was just immense amongst the other kingdoms of the earth. And so she traveled there with tribute. She brought a lot of things with her to give to him. And it says in verse 4, when the queen of Sheba observed all of Solomon's wisdom, uh, the palace he had built, the food at his table, his servants' his servants' residence, um, his attendant service in their attire, his cupbearers and their burnt offerings he offered at the Lord's table or at the Lord's temple, it took her breath away. And so here's the Queen of Sheba going away and she's looking around as like, oh, I've never seen anything like this. And so uh, it was just, it was awesome. And so um, she, you know, gave Solomon all that, that she had brought to him. And in verse 13, it says, King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba her every desire, whatever she asked. And so he gave her whatever, because he had such an immense overflow of riches and blessings that he gave her whatever he asked, whatever she asked. And so... <clears throat> Just to give an illustration with regard to Solomon's wealth and the kingdom's wealth, it said that, um, it says in chapter, or excuse me, in verse 16, well, it says in verse 14, the weight of gold that came to Solomon annually was 25 tons, 25 of tribute from other nations and whatnot, 25 tons of gold every year. In verse 16, it says, King Solomon made 200 uh, large shields of hammered gold. 15 pounds of gold went into each shield. He made 300 small shields of hammered gold, uh, nearly four pounds per shield. And so he's making all this stuff. And then it says in verse 16, the king also made a large uh, ivory throne and overlaid it with fine gold. The throne had six steps. There was a rounded top at the back of the throne, iron rests on, iron rests on each side of the seats, uh, and two uh, and two lions standing beside the armrest. Twelve lions were standing on each of six steps, uh, one at each end. Nothing like it had ever been uh, made in any other kingdom. Google Solomon's throne. It has a bunch of different illustrations of what this throne may have looked like. Just simply magnificent. Uh, in verse 21, it says, All of King Solomon's drinking cups were gold, and all the utensils of the house of the forests of Lebanon were pure gold. There was no silver since it was considered as nothing in Solomon's time. There was so much gold, you know, and so much silver that sil silver was considered, who cares? You know, nobody cares about silver. It was so abundant. And in verse 23, it says, King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the world in riches and in wisdom. The whole world wanted an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. And so all of the kingdoms of the world, everybody, all the leaderships and all of the, all of the leadership, all the kings, everybody wanted to come and have court with Solomon because of his reputation of wisdom and knowledge and the riches of the land. We move on to chapter 11. In verse 1, King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter. This was Solomon's Achilles heel. He just, 
He loved too, too many ladies. He just, he just loved too many women. And uh, it says Moabite, Ammonite, uh, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women uh, from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them and they must not intermarry with you because they will turn your heart away uh, to follow their gods. And so the Lord had throughout centuries had warned the Israelites, do not do this, you know, because the result will be they will lead you astray from me and then you will sin, and then the consequences of the sin you will have to bear. And so Solomon, obviously, being a man of wisdom, knew this, but uh, he couldn't help himself. It says, uh, to these women, Solomon was deeply attached in love. Not woman, to these women, Solomon was deeply attached in love. In verse 3, he had 700 wives who were princes and uh, princesses, and 300 who were concubines. That's a thousand women. He, he essentially is married to a thousand women. And it said, the word says, and they turned his heart away. In verse four, when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. And, and this, again, this was Solomon's downfall. He just, uh, he was a wise man, in many cases, but then not so wise in other cases. And this is really a case of the of human history. You know, this is a matter of fact, all of the characters, you know, in in the in the, in the Bible, we see a, a constant theme. All the great men of God, they're all flawed. You know, they all have you know, they discriminate uh they demonstrate tremendous dedication and, and fellowship with the uh with the Lord on one hand, but then on the other hand, they demonstrate significant failings. And to me, I don't know about you, but to me, this is kind of encouraging because there are no per perfect people and the word, you know, uh, kind of illustrates this. And so this gives me hope. This is like, okay, I do the best that I can in my humanity, realizing that I'm not perfect, but the tremendous heroes of the faith, they weren't perfect either. And so, um, to me, it's just a great revelation just, just to know that these guys were human. <clears throat> and so um, in verse 6, chapter 11, it says, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and unlike his father David, he did not remain loyal to the Lord. David remained loyal till he died. Solomon did not. And so... <clears throat> And so it says, um, and you know, in verse seven, at that time, Solomon was building these uh, altars and whatnot to these other gods. And in verse eight, he says, he did the same thing for all his foreign wives who were um, burning incense and offering sacrifices to their gods. So he built altars for them too, to sacrifice to their gods. And in verse 11, it says, then the Lord said to Solomon, since you have done this and did not keep my covenant and my statutes, which I commanded you, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. However, I will not do it during your lifetime for the sake of your father, David. I will tear it out of your son's hand. Yet I will not tear the entire kingdom away from him. I will give one tribe to your son uh, for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I choose or that I chose. And so, um, so the Lord is telling Solomon, look, you're done. I'm through with you, um, but I'm not going to take it for your, uh, from your hand because your, your dad was faithful to me. But from your son, I'm going to take it, but I'm not going to take the whole uh, uh, nation of Israel away from you. I'm going to leave you a tribe, but every, everything else will go to somebody else, to your servant. 
in verse 14. So the Lord raised up uh, Hadad the Edomite uh, as an enemy against Solomon. He was of the royal fa uh, family of Edom. And so David had did massive destruction in, in Edom. And so uh, the Lord raised up Hadad to come against Solomon. And it says in verse 23, the Lord raised up Rezin, the son of Eliada, as an enemy against Solomon. So he raised up somebody else as an enemy against Solomon. So the Lord is now raising up enemies against Solomon because Solomon has sinned. It says in verse 26, now Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, uh, he was an Ephraimite uh, from Zoraida. And it says uh, Jeroboam rebelled against Solomon. So this is somebody from the house of Israel inside, you know, that is now being raised up to rebel against Solomon. All of these rebellions are rising. All of these people are coming and starting to come against Solomon again because of his own actions. In verse 29, during that time, the prophet uh, Ahijah, uh, the Shilamite, met Jeroboam on the road as Jeroboam came out of Jerusalem. Now Ahijah had wrapped himself with a new cloak, and the two men were alone in the open field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he had on, tore it into twelve pieces, and said to Jeroboam, Take ten pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord of Israel says. I am about to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand. I will give you ten tribes, but one tribe will remain with his will remain his for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city I chose out of all the tribes of Israel. And so he says, I'm going to take 10 tribes, give them uh, to you, and one tribe I'm going to leave with uh, Solomon. And, and uh, you say, well, that's 11. What, what about the 12 tribes? Well, the 12th one was Benjamin, and they kind of went with Judah as well. And so, so again, the Lord says, look, I'm not going to take, uh, I'm going to take 10 and, and, and leave uh, some with him. But it says in verse 37, I will appoint you, the Lord is talking to Jeroboam, and you will reign as king over all you want, and you will be king over Israel. And so the Lord has told his prophet Ahijah to tell this to Jeroboam. And so, cool. And so then this word gets back to um, Solomon some kind of way. And uh, in verse 40, it says, therefore Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but he fled to Egypt. And this is where he remained until Solomon's death. And so Solomon tried to get a Jeroboam before he could rip the kingdom out, but he flees to Egypt and he waits there until Solomon dies. And in verse 42, it says, The length of Solomon's reign in uh, Jerusalem over all Israel totaled 40 years. Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of his father David. His son Rehoboam became king in his place. And so we don't see Solomon, you know, like David, you know, giving any speeches or, 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 or any kind of encouragement as he knows he's going into his phase of death to the people to encourage them. It just says Solomon died. And that was that. Essentially, that was that. And so Solomon was a man of wisdom, but he was also a man of foolishness. And so, uh, again, we have this internal human struggle uh, that exists for most people throughout their lifetimes. And Solomon was no different. We go on to chapter 12. It says <clears throat> that Rehoboam, this is Solomon's son, went to Shechem for all Israel, uh, had gone to Shechem to make him king. Then Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard about it. He stayed in Egypt. So uh, Jeroboam heard about this, that Solomon had died. And again, he was hiding from Solomon, so he didn't go anywhere. It says in verse 3, but they, the people, summoned him, and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam. It says in verse 4, 
Your father made our yoke harsh. You, therefore, lighten your father's harsh service and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. And so the people are making an appeal to Rehoboam, uh, Solomon's son. Look, your father was harsh on us, but if you will lighten our load a little bit, we'll serve you. And so Rehoboam says, okay, give me three days to think about this. And so he goes and he consults with the elders. And it says in verse 6, six then King Rehoboam uh, consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon when he was alive. In verse 7, they replied, today, if you will be a servant to this people and serve them, and if you respond to them by speaking kind words to them, they will be your servants forever. So the elders are saying, look, be kind to them, lighten their load a little bit. You know, no problem. They're going to serve you forever. Verse 8, but he, being Rehoboam, rejected the advice of the elders. He didn't like it. And he consulted with the young men who had grown up with him and attended him. And so he said, no, I don't like this. I don't like, let me, let me go talk to my boys. This is essentially what Rehoboam told himself. And that's what he did. And this is what his boys told him. Uh, and he said, his boys tell him, this is what you should tell the people, uh, Rehoboam. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Although my father burdened you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with barbed whips. And so his boys are telling him, no, 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 go in the exact opposite direction. Double down and tell him, no, no, no. My father was lenient as far as I'm concerned. So this is what I'm going to do. And so then in verse uh, 15, the king did not listen to the people uh, because he because this turn of events. And so the king didn't listen to the elders, okay, because this turn of events came from the Lord to carry out his word, which the Lord has spoken through Ahijah um, to Jeroboam, son, uh, son of Nebat. And so this didn't, so in, in other words, uh, Rehoboam's heart was hardened, you know, against the people uh, because this was the plan of the Lord. And so um, this is what he wanted to happen. And so we drop, we drop down to verse 20, and it says, um, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they summoned him uh, to the assembly and made him king over Israel. And, and no one uh, followed the house of David except the tribe of Judah alone. And so this was the people's response to Rehobo Rehoboam's harshness. It was like, all right, so Jeroboam, you come on, we're going to make you king over us. And so that's what they sought to do. And that is what they did. And then it says that uh, uh, Rehoboam, you know, built a house in Shechem on the hill. And then in verse 26, it said, or I should, I should say Jeroboam. And in verse 26, it says, Jeroboam said to himself, the kingdom might now return to the house of David if these people regularly go to offer sacrifices to the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. The heart of these people will return to their Lord, King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and go back to the king of Judah. And so this is, uh, so the word says again in verse 26, Jeroboam said to himself, so he's talking to himself. Look, whenever you start to talk to yourself in your head and you've got nobody to, to you know, counsel with or whatever, a lot of times that leads to bad decisions. And so we see that Jeroboam has convinced himself that, hey, if I don't do something to give these people uh, somewhere to go and worship, they're going to go back to Jerusalem. Then they're going to return to Judah and the Rehoboam, they're going to kill me. And so then his response to this thought is, then he made two golden calves, you know, he made altars and whatnot. And so he, he put things together for the people so that they could go and worship. 
And it says in, in verse 31, Jeroboam also made shrines on the high places and made priests from the ranks of the people who were not Levites. And so he's just going off on his own now. He's making a solution to what he perceives as a problem. In verse 33, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had set up in Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month. He chose this month on his own. And so we see again that Jeroboam is making up stuff as he goes along. He's making up his own process of worship. He's making up his own ordinances and whatnot with regard to who can do what. He's making up uh, 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 he's actually making up no guidelines. Anybody can do anything. He just wants the people to be able to go and worship something, anything, as a substitute for going to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And so that's what he put in place. And so we will start with chapter 13 tomorrow. Everybody have a blessed day. Bye-bye.